I think at the end of the day, I don't know that the Ontario government cares what is happening south of the border. They had a series of objectives that they wanted to meet. They can declare mission accomplished. You're listening to the Gaming News Canada show with Steve McAllister, recorded live on LinkedIn Audio. Follow Steve on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Welcome, everybody. It's Thursday, January 26th, and it's the Gaming News Canada show. I'm your host, Steve McAllister, the editor-in-chief of Gaming News Canada. Thanks, everybody, for for being along today. And as always, a very busy hour in in store. We had to do some fast-footing on the newsletter this morning when when iGaming Ontario came out. Uh, shortly after nine o'clock Eastern time, with the with the Q3 market performance report, we're going to talk about that in this in the second part of the hour. I just want to quickly walk through some headlines before we open and, and bring in uh, Reg Behe, the uh, the longtime senior contributor for CDC Gaming Report, Cassie Stratford, the senior vice president of uh, legal affairs and compliance with Board Gaming out in Las Vegas. Also hoping to be joined by Jessica Wellman, the editor of SBC Americas. As I mentioned, big news of the day. We're going to get into more, but iGaming Ontario released the highly anticipated Q3 market performance report. Mitch Davidson and I go, he did tell me on Monday that they were getting close to releasing those numbers. He didn't tell me it was this close. But anyway, there's lots to talk about about there, and we're going to, uh, we're going to have... Uh, Will Hill and Amanda Brewer, who's back from her vacation, and Troy Ross from TRM Public Affairs is going to join us later in the show, uh, Nick Salsky from Point, PointsBet, and our regular contributors, Mark Silver, Gavin Roth, and Mike Day from the, the Parlay Media uh, Posse. Uh, just quickly, a couple of other headlines. A couple of hours ago, uh, we, we knew this was coming yesterday, but the Ontario Lottery and Gaming Corporation and MLSC announced a partnership. Uh, ProLine Plus is now the official betting partner of Real Sports, and for anybody who is not familiar with the, the GTA or Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, Real Sports is the, the restaurant slash sports bar slash entertainment venue that's adjacent to the Scotiabank Arena, the home of the Toronto Raptors and Toronto Maple Leafs. Last Friday, I believe, uh, CBC Gaming Reports, which is a partner of, of ours, put out a report from Reach that uh, it, it had uh, unveiled its inaugural uh, 10 women rising in gaming and, and a list of uh, 10 women under the age of 40 who are making a difference in the U.S. gaming industry. We're going to start with uh, with you, Reg, and just what, what was the motivation to come out with this list? Well, it started last December uh, when I was talking to Cassie about another story. Um, I, I believe it was the story about global gaming women planning to expand into Europe and other uh jurisdictions and we just started talking it blossomed from there what about you know the top 10 women in gaming from there cassie and kelly hatchett global gaming women um sort of took control of the story finding women who fit the categories outstanding women uh in their accomplishments and, and that was the launch of it thanks for that Reach. um you know, Cassie, we, we've we've had this discussion about diversity and inclusion. What motivated you to, to be involved in this process? So when Reed and I started talking about this particular story idea, I got very excited because I just think that it's 
so important for um, for us in the in the gaming industry and the professional community at large to support one another. I mean, I think we've all gotten to where we are, um, at least in part, because of the help of those around us. I know I am eternally grateful for for mentors and supporters and champions that I've had in my own career. So it's been really a big priority of mine to do the same for others. And, and whether that's through Global Gaming Women or getting the opportunity to um, help read, select honorees for something like this, I, I think that there's something to be said for the power of just getting people's names out there and then also just empowering women to say, um, you know, we see you, we see that you're doing great things and we celebrate that and, you know, um, those things can be really inspiring and, and motivational for for people that are that are sort of up and coming in the industry. And um, so I, I just think that stories like this, um, whether they're they're female focused or, or or otherwise, are really, really important and powerful because it helps us learn about um, what different people are doing that is making a difference in the industry. And then I think it's just a really, really um, impactful way to support one another. We spoke with uh, Amanda Brewer, Brewer and Shelly White from the Responsible Gambling Council and, and Kelly Brooks, who, who's the founder of a startup company, company here in Canada called Quarter Four, two weeks ago. And, and Amanda's someone who's been in the industry for, for more than two decades now. I, I just wonder, in terms of your experience, like what kind of changes have you seen in the industry as it relates to the treatment of women in, in, in gaming? Reed and I have spoken about this um, quite a bit as, as our discussions have flowed from, from various different articles and, and topics in general. And, you know, I count myself as, as someone who's been very lucky to have been um, surrounded by really, really great role models and mentors from the day I entered the the industry. Um, that said, that's not everyone's experience. And the thing that I look around our industry today and feel really proud of, um, and think that all of us in the industry can feel really proud of, is you see more women. You see more diverse professionals and and in in higher ranking roles and in roles that are really making a difference and moving the needle for our industry. And and you know, it's a fantastic day when you when the problem is trying to narrow down a list of well-deserving folks to 10 and you know, trying to whittle that down as opposed to scrambling and saying, can we find 10 people that happen to fit the category for this particular award? And, and I think what's, what, um, struck me as we were, as we were talking about this list is, um, you know, there are so many fantastic candidates to choose from. And I think that that's something every single person in the industry can be proud of because, that takes everyone's efforts um, to make sure that we're we're recognizing, promoting, um, developing talent that is diverse. Great points, Cassie. Jessica Wellman. It it, it always warms my heart to to see a journalist get recognized for their for their work. Although I, I know that's that's not what's driving you to turn on your laptop every morning. But uh, what does what does being on the list mean mean to you? I would agree with you, Steve, that I, I look at a lot of these lists and I see that media people don't always get the recognition necessarily. So it's nice to be included in it and meaningful in that way. 
Uh, I will say I was joking with Sue Schneider uh, just a few months ago. I was like, I'm 39. I'm running out of time to like make one of these lists. (laughs) (laughs) I was just grateful to, it was kind of a joke that I wanted to make one this year, but to actually make one with the women that are on this list and to be one that highlights women in particular uh, really means a lot because, and this is hats off to you, Reach. I love that the, profiles of all of these women you got to know them a little bit reading about them and it wasn't I, I see so many of them shining in the work that they do I recently interviewed Brooke Fiumara I work with Kate Debon a lot um talking about what the AGA is doing but to get to know them was such a cool experience uh reading these interviews that I think you know it's nice to highlight women and get to know them a little better not just acknowledge the work that they've done, even though that is very impressive as well. You're in a u- unique position in the job you do interviewing people and, and going to conferences. Uh, like what, what are your thoughts on in the time you've covered the industry and, uh, you know, are there, are there women who are, ex- are accessible and empowered the position? And have you seen a bit of a shift in that? I've seen a bit, you know, I think what I've seen is the biggest shift. It's the the companies themselves that kind of control who gets to have, who the media gets to have access to. And for many years, those people that they put forth were always men. And now getting to have conversations with women um, in these roles more often. Uh, when we did our global gaming women brunch at SBC Americas uh, in New Jersey last year, uh, it was so cool. One, I'm so glad that Cassie uh, and, and GGW supported this to see so many women in the same place. But the theme that I heard from all of us and was I was in a job where I wasn't being given an opportunity to speak and to make my voice heard. And nobody's putting me forward to be on panels and nobody's putting me forward to be in interviews that I think the biggest shift I've seen from the media side is just getting these people in the spotlight where they deserve to be at last. Reed, just uh, to Jessica's point earlier about the caliber of the people that are on this, this list, are, are there two or three women that really stick out at you that you like to mention? All of them? Uh, you know, I don't feel good about singling anybody out, but I was really struck by Tashina Lescana's story. I mean, growing up in a small town in Alaska and um, being in the arts and then sort of like finding gaming and, you know, finding that there was a role for her in um, gaming. And um, Kate the Bond story, too. She had no idea uh, about gaming and got involved and loves it. And I, I, Jessica's story to me is one of the better ones too because she just, I don't want to say you stumbled through it, Jessica, but through dint of perseverance. I think those are the words that I used to be fair that I, yeah. I repeatedly said, right place, right time. Right. But um, just to be able to, you know, make connections. And I, I think that's crucial in any industry making connections and she did that um i just was amazed but you know steve to single out anyone i I don't think that's the right thing to do they're all pretty incredible stories 
Yeah, no, and uh, Reed, I'm not only happy to highlight your work in our, our newsletters every week, but I'm often highlighting Jessica's Jessica's work as, as well, so I couldn't agree more. Hey, Jessica, I just want to go off, off this path a little bit. You, you've you been following the uh, Massachusetts Family Commission uh, hearing very intently leading up to the uh, the opening of the their market next Tuesday. Like, Are there a couple of major takeaways or or things that you've heard during this process that you'd like to share with our audience? Sure. Uh, I I think I can sum up 90 odd hours of meetings (laughs) they've had into a few key ideas. One of which is, I think what so many people were fascinated by these Massachusetts hearings, the reason they were, is because this group was just really willing to put a questioning eye on every facet of the industry. Why are we doing this? Is this the best way to do this? Is this the best way to help consumers? And I think it's a reflection of a trend I will probably be talking a lot about in regulations, not just in Massachusetts, um, of just regulators putting in new rules about consumer protections. We obviously have always had good, responsible gambling conversations, but Massachusetts is a state following in the footsteps of Ohio and Ontario that, for example, is going to limit the use of terms like risk-free and free bet and make sure that if those are being used, that you don't have to deposit and provide your bank account information in order to get them. I think that's one incredibly interesting kind of theme we're seeing. And another one that got a little bit of attention and I'm curious to see where it goes. There was brief mention in one of these meetings about the practice of sports books limiting successful betters and how much this really impacts the industry. I still think the jury's out on who just how big a group of people really isn't able to get the amount of money down they want on a bet. But the fact that a regulator is willing to take that up and, you know, their first stop is going to be the operators who I'm sure are going to say, you know, this is very, very necessary and have all of their reasons why. But the fact that it's even a public conversation kind of shows you that we're in a new age of regulations where it's not just about um, putting up and launching a market. It's about how to make sure that market is running in a way that is, conducive to responsible gambling, conducive to making sure that you're not marketing to minors and that we're not, you know, overrun with sports betting. And I'm curious to see how operators and suppliers alike are going to respond um, to those measures. Thanks, Jessica. I know it's a story that you and uh, you and I and and others in the industry are going to follow very closely when Massachusetts opens is regulated market next Tuesday. Listen, I want want to thank you, Jessica, um, Cassie Stratford from Boyd Gaming, Reg Behe from CDC Gaming Reports. Really appreciate you, the three of you coming on and, and uh, talking about the, the 10 women rising in gaming list. And uh, let's, uh, we'd love to get the three of you back on, back on the show again. Jessica, it's great having you back on again. And I uh, hope to talk to the three of you again soon. Thanks very much, Steve. Thanks for highlighting the story and these women. We appreciate it. Great. Our pleasure, Cassie. Thank thank you. Let's move to the uh, the certainly the big story of the day in in Ontario and and that's uh, the the announcement from iGaming Ontario this morning their their Q3 market performance report and again if anybody I know we've got uh, Troy Ross is going to join us and I know Nick Solsky's here and and uh, Chris Abbott 
Uh, and again, so if uh, if you want to speak, please uh, click on click on that hand, and we'll get you get you up here. Just uh, you know, high level stuff. Uh, you know, a very robust Q3 in Ontario. Of 36 operators and 68 gaming websites. Now I think that's even increased by by a couple since uh, since that report has come out. Um, 11.53 billion dollars in total wagers for the quarter, and that's that's October through December 31st. Uh, we knew there was going to be a busy quarter because of uh, you know a very busy sports calendar with the FIFA World Cup, um, the NFL regular season at full swing. Uh, of course, uh, the NHL and, and NBA regular seasons uh, having started. So uh, by far and away, the biggest uh, biggest quarter yet, I think, was um, a 91% increase in total wagers, $457 million in total gaming revenue, which I think now takes Ontario in the, f- the first nine months of the market up to around $900, uh, $900 million in total gaming revenue. Um Maybe we'll start. Uh, well, Hill, let's let's start with you and just get your quick thoughts. Hopefully, you've had you had a chance to read the i the, the report of the iGaming Ontario release this morning and, and have a few thoughts about it. I have, and in fact, I've shared it with uh, many of my supervisors uh, at our Las Vegas headquarters. My message to them, um, and on this podcast at the end of Q1 and the end of Q2, was was patience. Um, that there was uh, the, the first two sets of numbers in Q1 and Q2, I didn't ever think were truly reflective of the true value of the market. And now we're actually starting to see that true value reflected. Yes, there was a bump from football, i.e. a full NFL season and football i.e. the World Cup, um, that uh, boosted numbers. And yes, uh, we have the advent of new seasons in the NBA and the NHL. Uh, but what I think you're seeing in this increased handle and in this increased wagering is a whole series of very sophisticated operators that were limited at the outset from offering any bonuses, credits, or inducements, i.e. free cash. But now they've actually taken the time to get to know the customer, um, understand what the customer is interested in, what moves the needle, uh, and actually, they've started offering that. They're, they're no longer in a phase where they're running around willy-nilly trying to just, just get operations up and, and, and get markets available. Um, they're now in, in, in sort of into a standard operating procedure. Um, and these are very smart people. Um, and and they, they know from working in multiple jurisdictions uh, what works and what doesn't. But then you have to make it bespoke and tailor it to an Ontario and a, Cassini, a Canadian audience. Uh, and they're doing just that. And we're seeing the, the improvements rendered. Uh, Troy, Troy Ross, the president of TRM Public Affairs, Troy is someone who uh, I think actually has been involved with this for over two decades now, worked, I, I believe, with the Alcohol, Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario at one point, has, has been uh, you know hip deep in, in the regulatory side of the gaming industry for an awful long time. And Troy, I know you and I spoke on the phone briefly this morning, but just you know some high-level thoughts from you on, on these numbers. Sure. Uh, thanks, Steve. I, I guess in, in some ways, this is not really surprising. Uh, the Ontario government took a, a practical approach to regulation. They introduced sensible standards and a reasonable tax rate and did not limit the number of registrants that could enter the market. So their approach has led to a very commercially attractive regime. So I guess I'm not surprised that that Ontario has become the or one of the biggest and, and most successful uh, regimes in North America. Uh, having said that, these numbers are out of this world. 
And, and I guess I, from a political perspective, for me, there are two key takeaways. First, it's extremely rare that a government policy actually achieves everything it's set out to do. Uh, and, and, and I think this has. It's driven more money to Ontario Treasury. It's created more choice for players. It's introduced uh, strong regulatory and, and responsible gaming standards. And it's channeled the vast majority of the iGaming play away from a gray market into a proper regulated uh, environment. So the model is a great success, and that's a feather in the cap to, to everyone involved, like uh, Doug Downey and Peter Bethenfalvy and, and their teams and the AGCO and, and iGaming Ontario. My second key takeaway is the revenue numbers are simply too big to ignore, uh, particularly during an, uh, a recession, and that I think ministers of finance across the country are going to be obligated to start asking questions about the Ontario regime and how their provinces can produce a uh, similar result. So I think, I think the next step, the next logical step following the release of these numbers is there will be some research uh, done across the country about how other provinces can mirror what Ontario has done and uh, and borrow from this success story. Nick Salsky, the Chief Commercial Officer of PointsBet Canada, I don't know how much you can talk about the PointsBet results from, from October to December, but I, I'm sure you certainly have some thoughts on the iGaming Ontario numbers today. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me, and it's uh, it's great to hear uh, Troy and Will as, as well. Um, and, I, and I agree with uh, pretty much everything that they said. And I know from a PointsBet perspective, you know, I mean, candidly, you know, I uh, haven't had a ton of time to dig in to all the numbers yet. But, you know, I will say that from a high level, you know, they're very much in line with our estimates and, and where we thought the market was going to go. I mean, I think that the reality is Troy really nailed it. I, I, I think that this really does and has to strengthen the picture um, for other provinces who are looking at the iGaming opportunity and ultimately um, you know, the, you know, Will, you know, my friend Will made a comment about how the early days were somewhat limited by the amount of, of, of free money and promotions that operators were handing out to users. Now, I don't necessarily agree that that's the reason why the markets got off slow. Sports and sports gambling and sports gaming is a cyclical business, um, meaning, you know, seasonal, sorry. And ultimately, Q3 is really the it's always, you know, this is the peak period of sporting time, the Q3 and Q4, when we come to the uh, kind of the, the, the schedule of the IGO releases. And so it's these two quarters that I think we're going to be able to realize the true potential of what uh, Troy alluded to as being just undeniable revenue opportunity for the other provinces who are considering opening up to, you know, private operators. So I, I think, um, I think all of us, um, within the industry as operators, you know, I go AGCO, um, as well as a lot of our third party suppliers and vendors who have helped prop this market up the way that they have. I think it's is a really good it's a really good day for everybody, I think. Yeah. Uh, Chris Abbott, the Canadian country manager for, for K's and Gaming and Chris, but Batano was a, a bit of a latecomer to the to the party in Ontario, it, it, you know, opening your business in that quarter. But. 
Um, I know you've been following uh, this industry for a few years now and, and uh, love to get your perspective on, on the iGaming Ontario numbers today. Thanks for tossing it over, Steve. I, I'll echo what everybody says. I think the the revenue numbers uh, and potential tax benefits to governments are, are certainly high. So, um, you know, don't need to, to go over that too much. I will say that I also think that these numbers, um, while we do have to consider um, some of the free money and things that were tossed around, a lot of this is supposed to be separate of, of bonus costs. So one of the things that uh, is interesting to me is how good our sports bettors must be. Because I think uh, the first reaction I got from our head office was, well, that's a pretty low margin. Um, so, and we experienced that too. Again, it's only been a couple of months, but um, I think everybody would have experienced the rush of uh, new players. And there's certainly a sophisticated brand of sports betting player here in Ontario. Um, so I think that that was an interesting thing to contribute as well. But I think it's it's hard to... I think Will said this, it's hard to really um, compare to the last, you know, three months before that because it's the summer and and uh, we're still really finding our way. I'll be curious to see what happens in the first three months of 2023 because uh, I think, uh, I think you know, the point was made that uh, people are kind of finding their way and settling in now. And, and I'll be curious to see how that, uh, as well as the, the marketing piece that was spoken about earlier, um, kind of finds its own path as we go forward here. Hey Nick, that's that's a really interesting point that uh, Chris makes about margin. Or, or, or have you seen the sending that points bet that maybe the uh, the the sports better Ontario is a little more sophisticated than than some of us might have thought, or, or or maybe should have realized because we've had a gray market here for so long. Um, it's it it's a good question, and you know we 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 think about it and we talk about it a lot in conjunction with our North American jurisdictions because obviously. You know, PointsBet is, is very active in the U.S. Um, you know, the the margin hasn't necessarily been um, uh, like it, it, it hasn't necessarily indicated that the gambler here is 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 significantly more mature or sophisticated than in other jurisdictions. I think to your point, Steve, we knew that the Ontario gambler was going to trend toward sophistication because of the gray market that's existed here for so long. Um, but the ability to bring on the new casual fans who haven't necessarily, um, who hadn't necessarily invested a lot of time and energy in the gray market, I believe absolutely offsets that, um, you know, that, that uh, aggressively low margin, if you know what I mean? There's a balance to every equation. And I think every operator Every operator, I think, in this market, because there are so many, um, are, more times than not, are really focusing on a specific caliber of sports gambler. You can't just, you know, create a campaign or create initiatives um, just to, 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 to um, you know, throw out a, a, a very wide net because then a lot of fish are going to get through, so to speak. So I think a lot of operators are really trying to focus their initiatives on identifying the specific type of iGaming user that they want. And I think that, um, you know, that's where they find that balance between that sophisticated, mature gambler and then that casual new gambler that may not be as, um, 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 as, as effective, so to speak, as, as the others. 
Hey, Troy, I'm going to ask you and, and Will this question, but I'll start with you, Troy. Like, is this the kind of report where when it gets sent out at shortly after nine this morning that uh, that all of a sudden you're you're getting a ton of texts and emails and is this one of those um, news releases that, that, that does capture people's attention? I, I think it's, you know, at this stage, it's a lot of inside baseball. Uh, so it's it's certainly... I would suspect that I and and others involved on uh, on the lobbying side uh, of uh, of the sector are, are going to be sharing these these data points with with people in the other uh, jurisdictions. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I'll tell you for my own part. Um, as soon as I saw it, I fashioned out uh, a, a short little summary and fired it off to Las Vegas and to other points across uh, uh, the U.S. to my colleagues uh, right away, um, and uh, uh, inserted some caveats that uh, um, uh, there's no bonusing totals included in this. That there's uh, still some gray market operators that are stealing a little bit of market share, um, and that OLG's numbers aren't included in this. Um, but my headline story was whopping improvements uh, with uh, three exclamation points. Um, I didn't include a goodness gracious, but perhaps I should have. <laughs> Gavin Roth would have been happy, happy about that. I should, I should point out too. That's that one, the, by the way, for everyone that has to now take a shot. For everybody keeping score at home. Um, I, I should point out too, and I should have done this at the top of the segment that, uh, that these numbers don't include, uh, the Ontario lottery and gaming corporation numbers of, of course. And, uh, uh, you know, Chris and, and Nick and I'll, Nick, I'll start with you on this one there. You know, when you talk to people in the industry and, and I think this has been probably more of a pet bugaboo with, with those of us who cover the industry that, um, you know, it takes a, it one. It takes a while to get these numbers. Secondly, there there doesn't appear to be the kind of detail, or there isn't the kind of detail that we've seen in the the U.S. and and there are different reasons for that. Just just from an operator's perspective, Nick, would you would you like to see more meat on the bone when these results come out? Well, speaking as I think on behalf of the only operator i won't i think i'm the only we're the only operator in the ontario market who literally releases its numbers publicly right because of our yes. our position on the asx um so yes i would very much like there to be more detail so we're really not the only operator who's being 100 transparent um obviously i'd like i'd like the operators to be transparent but i yes i i think more robust numbers would, would would be beneficial. But that being said, um, I can't. You know, we're we're still. This is the third. This is the third quarter, right? Um, we're nine, ten months in since launch. Things are going to evolve, right? We're in the. We're still maybe in the top of the first inning, if not even you know the the second batter of the baseball game. To use a bad analogy of the regulated iGaming market, you know, I go and AGCO. I think have done a fantastic job, um, you know, shepherding this launch. And I think we've used this, this um, uh, kind of analogy on the, in this chat before is, you know, in the early days, we were all building the plane while we were flying it, right? It takes time to reach cruising altitude. And I think that when we do, we're going to start seeing those types of shifts when it comes to data transparency that you're alluding to, Steve. 
Yes, thanks, Nick. I will say I do. I do appreciate the points bet uh, financial reports because it, it is certainly is nice to have those uh, be able to screenshot those slides and include them in the in the newsletter. So I'm I, I am grateful for that uh, for that information, uh, Chris Abbott. I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, so one of the things that we do internally is uh, you know benchmark against competition, and most companies do and. You know, in other markets where our company operates, they have access to a wide ranging amount of data. And when they ask me to put together the report, I have this, you know, 250 word infographic um, at my disposal. So it's something I would definitely like to see. I'd like to see it broken down um, by different gaming verticals. Um, yeah, I'd like to see the amount of bonus money given away if that was if that was uh, an option. And I listen. Everyone has different levels of transparency that are required, and let's not kid ourselves that private companies are going to give away information that they are not required to give away. So, um, yes, I would like to see a little bit more um, where that line is. I don't know. It's kind of hard to say, but I would certainly like to see more than than three metrics kind of being offered up here. Sure. Could I just jump in quickly on the matter of financial reporting? Absolutely. Well. I've talked about this before in this space, uh, but uh, I think it was the first week of January that my former employer, OLG, uh, released its annual report for a fiscal year that actually ended on March 31st, 2022. Um, And what always amazed me about Q1 and Q2 was the level of disclosure from a government that that in the past has actually, of all political stripes, usually the idea of disclosing government-run gambling figures has been anathema. To, uh, to policymakers, um, you know, oftentimes at OLG, our annual report came out months after the fact and witness here, uh, you're looking at nine full months have passed and you're disclosing figures that go all the way back to April 1st, 2021. Um, so uh, the fact that we actually get what we get, um, I think we should almost be grateful for it. And yes, it would be de- determinedly nice to have more, uh, but my history through a dozen plus years of either working in or observing uh, how the government handles financial figures related to gambling in this province, um, this is actually a marked improvement. Thanks, Will. I'll just I'll point out too for the audience that uh, you know I, I, I had reached out to Mitchell Davidson at iGaming Ontario to see if he'd come on today and... and uh, uh, Mitch respectfully declined and, and made the point of letting me know that he he'll come on once the Q4 results are out that he he would like to have a full year of results before uh, before he talks about it in a, in a public forum. So that's uh, uh, Mitch got back to me right away, which uh, doesn't always happen happen these days from from people not only in this industry but a lot of industries. So appreciate uh, Mitch uh, at least being transparent and, and honest with me on that. Uh, Troy, I did want to get back to you for a second. Dave Briggs did a, a really good job on PlayCanada.com uh, late this morning, um, kind of breaking down the numbers and comparing it with what we're seeing in, in the states in the U.S. with regulated gambling. And uh, according to Dave's article, Ontario uh, for that April to December period sits uh, fourth behind New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Michigan in, in terms of gaming revenue. If I remember correctly, Troy, since we launched this newsletter, we've kind of talked about Ontario being being a fourth or fifth, kind of being a top five jurisdiction in North America, do, do those numbers kind of line up with you? I think at the end of the day, I don't know that the Ontario government cares what is happening south of the border. Uh, they had a series of objectives that they wanted to meet. Uh, and I think 
they can declare mission accomplished here, right? This is driving significant money to the treasury. Uh, it's creating choice for players. It's introduced strong, responsible gaming standards. And we've channelized the vast majority of the gray market play into a proper regulated environment. Um, if I'm in, if I'm the attorney general or the minister of finance or uh, at OLG, AGCO or IGO, um, it, it really doesn't matter where you sit in, in you know, the horse race of who's making the most money and which, which jurisdiction has, has the most revenue. Uh, this is a good news uh, story for the province of Ontario. So I don't think that they look at it from that perspective. Hey Nick uh, Solsky, let me let me address the same issue, but in a, a different way. Is that is it? Would this be something that you're you're hearing from your counterparts in the U.S. and is, is are you are you being measured? Uh, you and Scott Vanderwell and the group in Ontario, are you being measured against what's points bet sees in other in states across the U.S.? Well, I, I don't think the the term measure is really the the right term. I mean, we we try and collectively, um, even though Canada and the U.S. from a points bet perspective op- operates somewhat independently of one another, we we definitely do our very best to share information and 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 learn and grow from what each of us is doing in in each jurisdiction. And you know, ultimately, I think that. The fact that there still is a gray market in Ontario, the fact that the OLG numbers are not included um, within within those metrics, I think that those are, you know, th- those those are factors that we definitely um, we definitely keep in mind. I mean, I think that when it comes to how internally we look at jurisdiction by jurisdiction, um, you know, the fact is what we're what we're really measuring if we're going to use that word is improvement and how much better we are performing, you know, week over week, month over month, quarter over quarter. And and I will say that we are all really excited about the types of of, of growth that we're seeing at PointsBet and the fact that, you know, unlike every other operator that launched in Ontario, we launched without having any, any database, whether it was uh, from previous gray market DFS brick and mortar casino or, or media. So even when new U S states launch for, for our, uh, for our American colleagues, there's already a level of brand awareness and preceded database based on, you know, our, our NBC deal would happen to be national and a number of our other partnerships. So you, you can't really compare apples to apples internally, but I will say that for us, the benchmark is really about improvement. And I think that what we all can take from an industry is really how I think successful Q3 has been. And it's only going to build momentum toward Q4. So I think that when Mitch you know, Davidson um, you know, uh, appears on the show at the end of Q4, I think that the success that he's going to be able to speak to is going to be is going to be quite quite prominent. It's it's going to be a I think it's going to be a really good moment for IGO um, at the end of at the end of this first first year. Yeah, that's great uh, context, Nick. Thanks for that, um, Chris. Uh, Chris, I'd love to get your thoughts on that because again, you're you're working for um, a company that's based in, in Europe. Like, are you having those conversations where they're comparing jurisdictions? It's really a brand new world for for our company. Um, 
they have not operated in North America before. Uh, the closest that they've done is Latin America, which is uh, not really the same thing. So what happens uh, internally with us is that we have some maybe similar jurisdictions where the regulatory frameworks are similar and we kind of kind of share information and past experiences based on those. But it really has been a learning experience. Um, I think one of the reasons that they targeted someone who was already working in the uh, market was that they needed a little bit of insight and expertise as well. So, um, you know, we, we are still brand new, you know, in our third month. So there's, there's learning going on. Um, I think there's, um, maybe Nick mentioned it before about the patients, um, it, it, I, I've been pe preaching patience to these guys because I don't think they've been in an environment with all the biggest hitters in the world before. So in other markets where they've been uh, operational, they've been quite successful. That's the expectation here. And it's kind of like, yeah, well, we've got, we've got a, an uphill climb ahead of us. And uh, so far, so good, I would say. Um, you know, early returns are positive. But for us, it's, it's more about... Um, when we when we look around internally at other markets um, internationally where we operate, it's kind of as I mentioned more about the the regulatory frameworks, the advertising restrictions, the affiliates. Uh, so we've got a, a wealth of experience in the organization, and it's finding the right mix um, to make things work here in Ontario. Yeah. Will Hill, you're in a, a unique position because your your employer Sightline Payments. You're you're dealing with business on both sides of the border. Are 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 you and your people having those conversations as it relates to jurisdictions oh certainly um this this you know when you say uh, jurisdictions i mean i'm talking to people in uh, what uh, seven of ten canadian provinces uh, at, at present um and, and you know there there is an opportunity that exists there um either through uh, the current crown agencies that, that offer gambling um, in those particular provinces, um, or um, as Troy was, was hinting at earlier, the opportunity for those operators that have now come into Ontario to extend and expand their Canadian footprint to include other provinces if and when those provinces open their doors. Um, and as Troy was, was quite correctly saying, when you have empirical data like what you've seen today, um, on the revenue side, uh, funds that previously were being siphoned out of Ontario that are now being repatriated. Uh, when you have uh, data like the tremendous amount of job creation that's taken place, witness Nick's shop there um, in uh, downtown Toronto that now has a headcount of, of, of better than 60, I believe. Um, when you hear about the economic development, i.e. a company like GeoComply opening up and staffing an entirely new uh, Toronto office, um, there's nothing but good news stories here uh, that tick a number of boxes uh, from the perspective of political optics uh, that could lead the conversation from jurisdiction to jurisdictions. Hey, Troy Ross, that's, uh, um, Will raises a great point there. I'll, I'll just ask you, like, you know, there's been an awful lot of negative publicity around the gaming industry here the last couple of couple of weeks, and we went into quite a bit of detail about that uh, last week with Benji Cherniak and, and Sue Schneider. Um, you know, this news from iGaming Ontario Day, is that is that an opportunity um, for for different stakeholders to change the narrative? I think it is. Uh, listen, I I, uh, I think we all have some theories about uh, uh, 
how and why there were three media stories all targeting advertising all within a week of each other. But, uh, you know, we have theories, but not uh, not enough evidence to suggest that it's an organized campaign. But um, this, you know, hasn't been much follow up on that. And, and I think this good news story, which is going to be viewed by by regulators, by responsible gambling advocates, and by ministers of finance as good policy uh, and good politics, I think that does start to change the narrative. Uh, and, and the reality is, guys, the debate about whether regulated online gaming can work and can generate significant revenue for provincial governments, that debate is over. Right, right. Hey, Chris and Nick, I want to give the last word to you both before we wrap up. And I, again, just looking at this next quarter, I mean, Q, Q1, if we're talking 2023, Q4, from an IGO perspective, uh, you know, of course, there's so much buzz around around the Super Bowl. But um, what else gets the two of you stoked about about your businesses right now? Look, looking at the between now and March, and uh, Chris, I'll start with you, and then I'll give the last word to Nick. Cool, thanks. Yeah, um, first thing I would say we got to have a conversation with uh, IGO to start labeling this uh, in the proper quarter because it's all confusing enough. Can we can we call it Q four and, and get it over with? Um, what's I mean, the Super Bowl is super exciting um, for us in particular. We are still building out our team here. Um, you know, we we've got some really exciting pieces that are coming on board in our, in our marketing and content department. So, you know, for us, we've kind of just been existing to start um, finding our way. And, and I'm really encouraged by kind of our performance in January so far. And the fact that we know there's so much more that we can do here. So um, the Super Bowl is exciting, but I think just uh, making Botano a, a name that that people recognize here in the marketplace uh, along with uh, so many other you know big exciting brands that that we share the space with so that's what we're really looking forward to is a you know a quarter of growth a quarter of um getting our brand out there a little bit more and uh and really getting our foothold um especially you know we we started you know, six-ish months after everybody else. So we're, we're kind of where a lot of brands were back in the summer, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's super exciting. And, and like I said, early returns have been good for us and we're encouraged. So um, yeah, just, just a little bit more of that. And Nick, it's going to cost you a dinner, but I'll give the last word to you. Okay. Well, I, I, no pun intended, but I bet you know what I'm going to say, Steve, but ultimately um, I mean, March madness is going to be huge. I mean, this is going to be the first, regulated gaming march madness in this in this region super bowl is big but march madness is going to be is going to be um i think en masse bigger um and of course you know this is going to be the first major curling event in um in ontario with the briar being in london uh in march so that's really exciting and then you mean champions league soccer we've seen some really exciting um you know soccer numbers and we have Champions League leading into a very, which blew my mind when I realized this, you know, MLS season and TFC starts mid-March, which technically yep. is in Q4. So, you know, I, I don't think it, it ends, you know, it all ends with the Super Bowl. In fact, you know, I think that because of 
of where the Super Bowl is played now, you know, it used to be a couple weeks earlier, there was this kind of dearth of sports for a few weeks. But now, you know, with Champions League, with the Briar, with March Madness, and with uh, TFC, I, I, it's going to be a really exciting Q4, Steve. So, yeah, I'm, I'm super, super pumped. Uh, Nick, I want to thank you, uh, Chris Abbott, Will Hill, Troy Ross, Reg Behe, Jessica Wellman, and Cassie Stratford, everybody for joining us uh, here on LinkedIn Audio for the hour today. Um, a great show, a great discussion. Um, obviously, we'll we'll have more to talk about uh, the industry in, in the, the weeks moving forward. Uh, but always appreciate uh, Nick, you and Will and, and um, Chris for, for hopping on. And, and Troy, really appreciate you uh, you coming back on. And there's as, as always, there's an open invitation for you to join us whenever you're willing and able. And uh, we look forward to listening and, and talking to everybody back here in a week's time. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at GamingNewsCanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.